0: Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Heater, as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 103. <laughs> So after the Sunflower Showdown this past week, uh, for those that weren't aware it was called that, like me, who's living under a rock, I guess, it's just Kansas State versus Kansas. After that game, if we look at uh, K-State's Philip Brooks, he has, on the season, 189 yards punt return. That's pretty good, right? That looks exceptionally good in comparison to K-New's 191 punt return yards. And you may say, why? what are you talking about? 191 is more than 189. Well, let me tell you, that number is the entirety of KU's team consecutively combined over the past five years. 2016, they've had negative 10. 2017, 81 punt return yards. 2018, 74, 2019, 46, and thus far in 2020, zero punt return yardage. So that's pretty impressive. Awesome. Philip Brooks, also, that's really bad, Kansas, but who's surprised?
1: Well, so, Wyatt, it's actually a little bit more impressive when you uh, say that He had 189 punt return yards in one game. Oh, that was the one game? Oh, you're right. Not the season. Just one game. He had two punt return touchdowns in a day. What a man. Yeah, Kansas is horrible at special teams, especially since they uh, punted the ball going into halftime, and he returned it for a touchdown as time expired at halftime. Good job, Kansas. You stink at football, and thankfully the Cyclones – Have a good matchup next week because this week it was a little bit of a tough week for the uh, the Cardinal and Gold as they went down to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and as we all previewed last week, um, yeah, miscues were something that could not be had uh, against Oklahoma State as they were obviously a much more solid team than. Uh, Texas Tech was the week before. Penalties hurt us again. Iowa State had nine penalties for 70 yards. A lot of those were very untimely. Well, we actually won the turnover battle, which is something that I uh, had touched on that we would have to do against Oklahoma State. Um, But in the end, there were quite a few other issues and lots of shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, in multiple instances that lost us this football game.
2: Yeah. One of those big ones is really that Iowa State was bad on third down. And frankly, that's because the offense was behind the chains all day. So if we look at um, Iowa State, ran 13 third down plays. They were three for 13. If we look at the yardage for each of those third downs, right? Third and 11, third and six, third and one, third and four, third and five third and seven, third and seven, third and two in the first half. So not awful in the first half, still not good, but not awful. In the second half though, third and 21, third and nine, third and 15, third and 10, third and eight, and third and four. Those were Iowa State's third down opportunities in that game. When you set up like that, three for 13 is about what you should expect. You can't be playing from behind the sticks and getting long third downs.
1: Yeah. If you're third
2: downs some greater than four yards away, your odds of converting them aren't huge.
1: Well, uh, especially when you look at the fact that you touched on this, greater than four yards away. So if you look at Iowa State's plays in this game, so they ran uh, 67 total plays. Take away Brees Halts two uh, long running running place for the day 70 yard run and a 66 yard touchdown run you take those out of the equation out of their 389 total yards uh the cyclones average 3.9 yards per play and when you're averaging third like if you're averaging greater than third and four you're only averaging under four yards per play that's not going to cut the cheese uh very often when you're looking to get first downs on third down and extend drives and score. Uh, yeah, it just, I there were many times where I was questioning some of the play calls. Um, but there were other times, especially when players like Charlie Kohler are, uh, what is it? What's that for the tight end, the Blitnikoff award, Uh who's on the Blitnikoff award watch list. Well, he's also on that. I think that's for wide receivers, but, the national tight end award watch list. He he drops a pass that was a clear first down that would have po- potentially could have potentially led to a uh, scoring opportunity in the fourth quarter, but ended up in a punt for the Cyclones. You can't have those miscues, especially for your sure-handed tight end, your best pass catch.
2: Yeah, I mean, and frankly, the defense. I mean, I don't have much to complain about from the defense. Right? They picked off. Oklahoma State twice in this game, held them to 24 points. I mean, Tuba Hubbard was – I mean, he didn't have a, he didn't have a bad – I mean, he ran for 139 yards. But, I mean, still, you held him generally in check. They only threw for 235 yards this game. The defense, I thought, was pretty consistent all game and did a good job. Um, but, yeah, that offense just needed to be a little bit more – consistent right the big plays were there as Kyle mentioned we saw two really long runs one of them didn't even result in points because we took a bad um, intentional grounding penalty and then um, missed a field goal after it so one of his big runs didn't even result in points the other uh, he just put in the end zone himself Um, but yeah we had the explosive plays but we lacked consistency we couldn't get anything going consistently on drives I mean in the first quarter, we had the uh, the touchdown on the short field after one of the interceptions. And we had the touchdown on Brees Hall's run. Brees Hall's really long run. And then we had that fourth quarter drive for a touchdown. And that was it, right? No sustained drives outside of that. So we need the offense needs to be more consistent, stay on the field, convert on third down, and keep moving the chains. Otherwise, you're going to run into trouble. I mean, yeah. The time of possession was pretty even, but – that's just cuz neither team could sustain drives.
1: Well, and then when Oklahoma State scored, they generally scored pretty quickly. They didn't have very 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 long um touchdown drives like you'll see out of a K-State off yeah. lots Oklahoma, of quick hitters.
2: Oklahoma's touchdown drives were three plays, 12 plays and four plays. So, yeah. they had a they had a six three play 69-yard touchdown drive and a four play 67-yard touchdown drive at points in the yeah. Whereas Iowa State only had one drive all day longer than, or in double-digit plays, and that was that touchdown drive at the end, which was ten plays long. It was the only
1: double-digit drive play. Or and honestly, kind of a garbage time touchdown drive at yeah.
2: that point. Yeah, ball control matters. Converting third downs matters. Not taking penalties, and don't miss field goals. You lost a game by three in a game where you missed two field goals. I don't blame a Sally for the first one. That's a long field goal and he did just barely miss it. That second one though was under 40 yards that he hit off the upright. He's got to make that field goal. And if he makes that field goal overtime, who knows what happens. So if
1: you're, if you are a division one college football player, you need to be a hundred percent inside of 40 yards. Yeah.
2: Like he's, he's literally got one job. His only job is to, Kicked the ball through the uprights, and he failed on his two field goal opportunity. So Maybe, maybe place.
1: a bright spot in the future for the Cyclones. Recently, they just landed the recruitment of the number one uh, kicker in the country. Um, so that'll that that could be uh, good for the Cyclone, or at least a improvement for the Cyclones in the future. That we don't always have to hold our breath whenever we send a place kicker out onto the.
2: Yeah, I was actually pretty confident in a Sally up until this game, and then he lost my confidence. So yeah. hopefully he can gain it back next week when um, the Cyclones – I'm not going to call it a, a, a deep breath game. I mean, you can't – it's Kansas next
1: week. Well, so here's the thing. You also cannot take a deep breath because you lose a game like this, and think of how crushing this would be to morale for a team. You cannot lose to Kansas.
2: You're not going to lose to Kansas, right? They're bad. Like, it's not even possible to lose to Kansas.
1: But somehow Texas finds a way.
2: I mean, that's true. But, like, we're not going to lose to Kansas, right?
1: Just beat, just beat Kansas and then move on after that. Get back on track with it. And as uh, a lot of um, media analysts have for the Cyclones have alluded to, Um, Matt Campbell probably will not, uh, insinuate that it is an easy game this week. He will have a very Bill Belichick-esque approach in their game to Kansas, just acting like it's another week. Play the game, win this game, get back on track, and, uh, I, I mean, for the Cyclones, you're not out of Big 12 championship contention. No, not by any means. Uh, you do need some help in order to win the Big 12 title outright, but you are still in the driver's seat for a, uh, a Big 12 championship game appearance um, because the two undefeated teams left in the Big 12 right now are Oklahoma State and K-State. Oklahoma State and K-State still have to play and Iowa State and K-State also have to play um and as we've seen throughout the season anything can happen in the big 12 so you you are in the driver's seat for something that iowa state has not done in a very long time keep your head down keep going beat kansas they're bad
2: yeah take care of your 28 and a half point favorites next week just take care of business beat them you'll all be good and then you can focus on the tough stretch Baylor, K State, and Texas, and three straight games after that. So, beat Kansas, and then you can buckle down and go, uh, go get ready to uh, play the toughest slate of schedule. There. So the, big, only the,
0: thing, the only other thing, the only thing I want to see out of this Kansas game besides a win is more discipline from the offense. It seems like every game that we've played so far this season, we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot with false starts and illegal formations. I don't understand why that is. So I'm hoping this uh, quote-unquote easier game we're supposed to have this coming week, we could really focus on the offense shoring up and you know, playing as a team. I don't know if we don't know the snap counts or, or what's going on, but it seems like to me this has been more of an issue this year than it has been in years past. Yeah,
1: and I guess before we move on, uh, I just want to talk about how good Brees Hall has been for this team again. We didn't actually give his stats. Mike talked about his two long runs that he had, but he finished the game. Uh, 20 total carries, 185 yards and one touchdown, averaging 9.3 on the ground. Obviously helped out a lot by a 70-yard and a 66-yard run. Um, but right now, he is the nation's second leading, or he is the, he is the second leading rusher in the nation um, behind UTSA's, uh, oh, I forget got his name already hold on let me let me find it uh sincere mccormick that's his name uh so Brees hall has 716 rushing yards on the season and he's also uh the nation's third um leading uh touchdown runner rushing touchdowns uh on the season so Brees hall for heisman yes no maybe uh And with that bombshell, we will continue on to the NFL.
2: No, no, no. You can't just say that and say we're going to carry on. Um, First of all, yes, he's been incredible. No, he's not going to win the Heisman. And you know why? Because we've already lost two games. Yes, people will tell you always the Heisman is an individual award, but your team has to be one of the top teams in the nation in order to win the Heisman. We saw has no chance because the Cyclones will not finish as one of the top teams in the nation after having already lost two games. So he has zero Heisman.
1: Yeah. So just stop. Mike's dreaming right. style. Stop dreaming. I, I, one can only hope. He, he is a very, very bright spot for this team and how, for however long, uh, we have him. So,
2: yes, he has been absolutely incredible. I agree with that completely.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of who has been looking incredible uh, Tom Brady continues to roll back the clock and now. uh, So does Rob Gronkowski as they continue to um, connect for touchdowns as they slide into second place as the uh, most completions between a quarterback receiver uh, duo only behind Peyton Manning. And I believe Marvin Harrison uh, back for the Indianapolis Colts. So, the Bucks are rolling, they beat the Raiders, and uh, they are looking very stout in the NFC South. Uh, on top of the AFC is now solely possessed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers are doing it with defense as well as um, enough getting enough out of Big Ben and uh, James Conner. Instead of Chase Claypool this week, it was Juju Smith-Schuster. As they outlast the Tennessee Titans, Um, Tennessee kind of had a down game, but that is to be expected when you're facing the best defense in the NFL this season, I believe, uh, in the Pittsburgh Steelers as they are competing along that defensive line for uh, sacks and they are getting to the quarterback and getting great pressure. The Titans did actually miss a potential game-tying field goal in the final second. Steven Goskowski has had a uh, very up-and-down year. Under 50 yards away uh, in field goal attempts, he is, I believe, 6-of-11 or 6-of-12 on the season, which is the lowest percentage in the NFL. But over 50 yards, he is a 100% on the season, which is a kind of crazy stat to think about that. He's really good from 50, but he can't make them from inside. So we'll see how that continues to work out for the Titans. Uh, The chiefs don't mind playing in the snow. Apparently as they absolutely obliterate the Denver Broncos, the Broncos looked like a junior varsity team out there on the field as drew Locke did not play. Well, they, tried a flea flicker where Melvin Gordon threw it over the head of Drew Locke and the chiefs end up getting four turnovers, uh, on the game. And one of them was a pick six. They also had a hundred and three yard kickoff return touchdowns touchdown as they score in all three facets of the game and win handily in the frigid mile high Denver atmosphere. Uh, the, Probably one of the best games of the day. I didn't actually watch all of it, but I ended up watching some of the highlights is the Seahawks in the Arizona Cardinals uh, squared off in the desert as Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett looked like a great receiving duo. And Oh, by the way, they still have DK Metcalf who made probably one of the plays of the NFL season as he chased down Buda Baker Uh, it looked like it was going to be a hundred yard pick six for Buda Baker and DK Metcalf reached a top speed of, according to next gen stats, 22.64 miles per hour and traveled 114.8 yards to chase down Buda Baker on his 90 yard interception return. Uh, just for reference, Baker's top speed was 21.27. So DK Metcalf is a freak. Uh, Yeah,
2: it's it's weird talking about the play of the week being a wide receiver making a tackle, yeah. but I actually tend to agree with you that that was probably the NFL play well, of
1: the week. Think about it. I mean, this just goes for anyone. Never give up on a play, right? Where DK Metcalf started, he could have easily taken himself out of the play once that ball was intercepted, and, and- Russell Wilson would have been the only person to potentially make a – tackle on the play but he gave it his all and he made a tackle and guess what the result was the arizona cardinals failed to convert in that into any points as they decided to go for it on fourth down after getting stopped on three straight plays and kyler murray just heaved up a prayer after getting chased 20 yards and no points were scored so that was a fantastic play for the seahawks Unfortunately, uh, when they needed a play out of Russell Wilson in overtime, he ended up throwing an interception and Arizona goes down and kicks the game-winning field goal after they had just missed a potential game-winning. And I think that that second-round matchup later on in the season between those two to be very exciting. Yet the
2: Cardinals are a surprisingly exciting team this year, don't you think?
1: Oh, for sure. Well, When you have the playmaking ability of Kyler Murray, it, it, that team is impressive. Their defense, uh, is re- they bend but don't break in between the 25s. Well, once you get into the red zone, the Arizona Cardinals are the second best defense in the NFL right now at holding teams out of the end uh, in, and in, in the red zone, which is just an incredible stat. They're playing with good defense. And Kyler Murray can just run all over the field with his electric speed. And oh, yeah, by the way, that trade for DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best trades right now, it it seems like, as that connection is very strong and between. Uh, Other news around the NFL in the NFC least, the Cowboys fly all the way to Washington only to score a field goal. Uh, Oh, and by the way, Andy Dalton's career was almost ended by a Washington defender. Those plays need to be out of the NFL. Andy Dalton is in the concussion protocol, uh, but just a horrible play by that Washington. The Falcons just continue to find ways to lose. I honestly think this 2020 Falcons team just needs to have a spot in Canton, Ohio, um, for their inability to win football games. It is astounding. They fail to uh, run out the clock, basically, is how they won this game or lost this game, I should say, as Todd Gurley on first and goal at the 10 runs 10 yards, tries to stop at the one yard line, um, fails, crosses the goal line, scores a touchdown, and the Lions then uh, proceed to drive all the way down the field and score the game winning touchdown as time expires as Matthew Stafford throws to TJ Hawkinson. The Atlanta Falcons, the, the, pack it up, pack it up, wait for next year. The Falcons
2: lost a game to the Lions in the most Lions way possible. Yeah. Like the Lions normally lose those games, not win those games. That had to be a change for Lions fans. I mean, there, was, there were two instances this weekend where a running back scores a touchdown where the other team was actually celebrating a touchdown scored by their opponent. It happened in the Penn State-Indiana game late in a similar situation where Penn State was up by one and Indiana literally lets the running back go into the end zone and scores the touchdown, and they end up um, getting the t- – Indiana gets the touchdown and two-point conversion to send it to overtime and then wins in overtime. So twice when the optimal player was to go down for the running back, they score the touchdown and it costs their team a game. Twice in one week. You don't see that very often.
1: And these weren't even um... – premeditated like we saw last week when we talked about Mike Brabel uh, getting an intentional penalty in order to help the uh, Texans score easier so that they could have a chance to go and win the football game. Uh, scoring is something that the Patriots seem to be allergic to right now. Um, Cam Newton played abysmal. He had three interceptions. He, uh, after the game said, if I don't play better, this might be the end of my career in New England. And he's probably right as they got obliterated by the uh, San Francisco 49ers who continue to somehow feel the team in a full roster, even though everyone can t- get injured on that, that team. Jeff Wilson Jr., the leading rusher for the 49ers in that game, left with the as well. That, that team has faced the most severe injury bug in the NFL, but they continue to be in contention in the NFC West. So... We'll see what happens there. And yeah, a very exciting uh, week in the NFL and we'll see what happens in week eight as we have some pretty big matchups coming up.
2: Yes, we do. But speaking of big matchups, this world series has been full of big matchups and it still ain't over yet. Um, there have been some absolutely incredible games in this world series and um, I think the best game of this World Series, um, and Kyle, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the best game of this World Series was definitely, um, what have it been? Game, th- game, uh, game four. Game four. To, yep. tie,
1: to tie the series at two all. And you're not wrong. That was the best game of the series by far.
2: Yeah. So um, the Dodgers, basically they've alternated games. The Dodgers have won the odd-numbered games. The Rays have won the even-numbered games. As they've gone through five games at this point, um, they will meet in Game Six this upcoming Tuesday. But yeah, that Game Four was the best. The Rays took it eight to seven on a walk-off single combined with two Dodgers errors. The Rays were down uh, seven to six with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Um, they line they bloop slash line a single to uh, right center. Um, that was going to score the tying run with runners on first and second. Um, But then the center fielder boots the ball a little bit. Chris Taylor. What?
1: Chris Taylor.
2: Yep. They go to – so they send the guy on first trying to score um, home. He ends up falling down and doing a somersault in between third base and home, but the catcher can't catch the ball. He goes to catch the ball, and he ends up losing it towards the dugout – so despite falling over, the run still scores from first for the game-winning run for the Rays to win. Just an incredible way to end that game. One of the better World Series games ever played, I think.
1: And uh, just a little bit of a fun fact. So Brett Phillips, who was traded uh, from the Royals, the, or the Rays acquired him from the Royals this season, uh, that was his first postseason hit uh, was that one, which was absolutely uh, outcome to that. Um, just as another note, the uh, rookie for the Rays, Randy Arozarena, has um, made MLB postseason history with nine home runs uh, so far this postseason. He has come out of, it seems like nowhere, and been an absolute stud uh, for this.
2: Yeah, he has. He'll be good for years to come for the Rays. It's players like that that lead to the stat we talked about last week with the Rays' low payroll, it's players like that coming up who are hitting MLB minimum and making that big of an impact is how the Rays can be in the World Series um, with that kind of payroll. you got to be able to trade well, um, scout well, and develop prospects well if you can win with the Rays' payroll, and they seem to be able to do all of those things well. So good on the Rays, keep doing it. Show those big market teams who's boss sincerely all of us who don't root for big market teams why you count as a big market team sorry
0: i mean yeah you're right
1: a big market team that it took forever for them to win a world series uh, losers but back to this current world series game six set as mike said for tuesday night october 27th their your pitching matchup will be blake snell for the rays against uh gonsolin for the dodgers and then game seven if necessary will presumably be uh walker bueller versus charlie morton as walker bueller has been nothing short of spectacular uh reminding me of that uh 2014 um madison bumgardner run through Andy yeah the entire- but-
2: but if it was the Madison Bumgarner series, right? Wouldn't he have to start in Game Six and then pitch out of the bullpen in Game Seven too? Isn't that what Bumgarner you're right? Would
1: Wait, like? did didn't I thought did Bumgarner pitch in Game Five and then came out of the bullpen he, in Game Seven?
2: Five and seven instead of. That
1: six. I think that's what it was because I think he started either Game Two, and... Game Two, and then Five.
2: Yeah, yeah, but he definitely came out of the bullpen on two days yes. Of game
1: 7. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But I was more talking in terms of Bueller has been virtually unhittable mm-hmm. um this World Series. Well, do you
2: know who was virtually unhittable all season? Chain Bieber. You remember what the Yankees did to him way back in the first round of the playoffs?
1: They they didn't they get seven runs off him in
2: one inning? Yeah. Just Yikes. because somebody's been unhittable don't mean they're gonna be unhittable that day. As Jim it's, Leland as Jim Leland always loved to say momentum in baseball is only as good as tomorrow's starting pitcher.
1: Yeah that, and that is a great comment and it, and it doesn't matter. Postseason baseball anything can happen
2: mm-hmm. even scoring after you fall down on the base pads.
1: Yeah, it's wild. I really hope we get a game seven out of this world series. It was Um, my prediction that it goes to a game seven, but I, baseball is so much fun. This series has been fun. Go Rays, win it in seven.
2: Yep, One more, one more game. One more day of baseball means we're one more day closer to spring training. I mean, fun fact, we are only how many days are we got to find my countdown. I start my spring training countdown every year.
1: Well, hey, you get to start it earlier than a lot of people because the twins don't like to win postseason baseball games.
2: We are officially one hundred and nine days away from the start of spring training. So, one hundred and nine days without bait. Well, one either one hundred and eight or one hundred and seven days without baseball, depending on if the Rays can win Game Six. So, spring training is coming. Do you know what else is coming, Kyle? Uh, Mike's stupid rules. Mike's stupid rules is coming. We're going to talk about um, a little bit of a controversial play in the Iowa State-Oklahoma State game. I referenced this earlier with the um, Brock Purdy intentional grounding before Sally missed the field goal. There was some controversy with that. Matt Campbell was very, very, very upset on the sideline um, after this. the play was called intentional grounding. Basically what happened is um, – uh, Texas Tech had pressure on Brock Purdy and he would, had nowhere to throw. So he just sort of threw it at the offensive line where um, Brees Hall was, but he had started to go downfield um, to try to get more open. Um, so the ball was a little bit of a ways from Brees Hall because Brock Purdy was hit as he throws. So the rule that we're looking at in college football when it comes to intentional grounding um, thank you to Wyatt Tita for finding this to me when I couldn't earlier. We're looking at, um, what is it? It's Rule 2, uh, sorry, Section 3, Article 2 of, oh, God, I messed it. What is it rule, again, Wyatt? Rule
0: 7, Section 3, Article 2.
2: Thank you. Rule 7, Section 3, Article 2. Um, specifically, we are looking at um, Sections F through H of that cover intentional grounding. So basically it is intentional grounding when um, basic, so intentional grounding, the, the one case that applies here is, um, is part eight where the passer to conserve yardage throws the ball forward into an area where no eligible team A receiver is um, with the exception that it is not a foul if the passer is or has been outside the tackle box and throws the ball. So it crosses beyond the line of, well, the neutral zone, which is the equivalent of the line of script. Um, So first of all, we've got two things to look at. First of all, was Brock Purdy outside the tackle box? Um, Why you say yes, because in college, unlike the NFL, the tackle box actually has a back to it in college. You tell me why, correct? Correct.
0: The tackle box does. I had to look it up. It's either five or six yards behind the line of script.
2: So Brock Purdy was far enough behind the line of scrimmage that he was considered outside the tackle box. But if you look, his throw did not make it back to the line of scrimmage. So he does not qualify for that exception in that. Um, The second, so we're looking at whether or not Brees Hall was an eligible receiver in the area. The pass was thrown. Um, This is where you can debate it. It was a close call. I admit that it was definitely a close call. Um, because Brees Hall was, the pass was thrown in the direction of Brees Hall for sure. He was intending to throw it to Brees Hall, and because he got hit as he thrown, it, didn't get there. And it looked like it was, he was just trying to get away from it. So I can see why it was called. I don't think it should have been, but I won't necessarily get super upset at an official who called it. As-
0: yeah, I, I would um, disagree with you in in that. I would actually agree that is- By rule, intentional grounding. Should it be intentional grounding? I don't know. Maybe there should be another exception that allows an official to look at whether or not the quarterback was hit in the arm. But that's not – we can't look at that here. It's just whether or not the ball made it either across the line of scrimmage or was in the area of an eligible receiver, which it wasn't in either case. Uh, By rule, I mean, it is intentional grounding in my opinion. So I don't know. Okay, kind of fun when we get to dis- disagree on these types of things because not often can you find gray area in rules, but this is certainly a gray area.
2: Yep, it is, and it probably cost the Cyclones three points, and guess what? The Cyclones lost by three points, so rules matter. I mean, frankly, the Cyclones shouldn't have put themselves in a position where the refs can throw that. Those are the, the small things that we've been talking about that have been killing the Cyclones all year that you got to clean up before you play Baylor and Kansas state and Texas. So you can go get to this big 12 championship. Um, moving right on along to our write that down predictions segment. We have one prediction coming off the board and it is a wrong one. And if it's a wrong prediction, odds are, it was probably from Wyatt. Um, just like this one is he predicted that Iowa state would beat Oklahoma state. As we've talked about Multiple times in this podcast, they did not. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah, nah, nah. That was it for our accountability session. So Kyle, you want to uh, start putting some things back on the board?
1: Yeah. Uh, so my prediction is that Byron Pringle will have another special teams touchdown at this. Who's Byron Pringle? Byron Pringle is the uh, the kickoff returner for the Chiefs. Okay. I say kickoff returner loosely because I think they might use him as punt returner now as well, but he has so far only been used on kickoff returns.
2: Okay, but you did clarify special teams touchdowns, so if he does become the punt returner in terms of punt, that does yeah.
1: count. As yeah, I said that because, you know, if he's taken off of kickoffs and put onto punts, I wanted to cover my basis there, yep. at least. Um, Boy.
2: Double? Triple? Triple? What do you think I mean- about
0: Probably triple, yeah. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably a
0: triple. That just feels feels intrinsically like a triple.
2: Yep, I'm going with the triple. Um, Let me see here. For my prediction, I'm going to make this one up as I go because, you know, I'm bad and didn't come up with one beforehand. I know I'm bad. I am going to predict that the Minnesota Vikings will beat the Green Bay Packers in their Week 8 matchup next.
1: Uh, 2020 NFL game projections.
2: According to 538, the Vikings have a 27% chance to win that game. Yeah,
1: that's but I'm I think
2: the also. Packers are going to overlook the Vikings a little bit, looking towards their Thursday matchup with um the 49ers right afterwards because they're looking at that with short time to prepare. They'll overlook a, a seemingly bad
0: Vikings team. and they'll. Uh...
1: I see this is triple territory. Yeah, I was going to say, Wyatt. is it a
0: double or a triple? Uh, what is what do we normally do twenty seven percent with? I don't remember.
1: I think triple. I don't know. I'd be Maybe. fine with triple. I mean, I yeah. don't really
0: care either way. I don't either. I was kind of feeling triple to begin with, so sure. I'm not? I'm
1: not sure it'll happen because Aaron Rodgers looked really good last week against the Texans, but a lot of quarterbacks have looked good against the Texans, so. Oh,
0: wait. Right. give him a triple. Right, I'll take the triple. In true Wyatt fashion, I have no idea if we talked about this when we talked about MLB, but. Manuel Margot stole home in game five. Well, attempted. Attempted. He attempted to steal home. I'm going to say there will nary be another attempt to steal home during this World Series. I mean, that's a single. Yeah, you're right. I know. I want it.
2: That is a single.
0: I honestly hope he's wrong and that it comes off next week as another Wyatt wrong. (laughs) I probably will be, but it's fine. I just need something, man. Uh,
1: By the way, that – Steel home was a lot closer than you might think.
0: Well, that's because Kershaw's got to build his house. He's got to do this thing and then look the other way for a while and then decide to finally pitch. Like, dude. And and
1: by close, I mean he was probably about six or seven inches a successful stolen
2: thing. A straight steal of home, is that's one of the most exciting plays in sports.
0: It was awesome because didn't he he steal the third too? Like he stole to second and then to third. I I was impressed. Anyway, not going to happen much anymore.
2: People stealing home.
0: I like it. I like it. What do we got uh, from Josh this week? Is he still alive? I mean, I know he's still alive. I just saw him a couple days ago.
2: Yep. He is doing good. He is going back to his Packers and Alan Lazard predictions and saying that Alan Lazard will return from injury either this week or next week for the Packers, so either against the Vikings or on that Thursday game against the 49.
0: I mean, yeah, probably, right?
2: What I read is that's probably what they're expecting, yes. He's yeah. back one of the next two weeks, but there's a chance he's out. Just because that second one is a short turnaround to Thursday, there's a chance he misses that one, too. I think this is a single.
0: That's fine. I think he's coming back.
1: Yeah. I do as well, but I'm going to look and get see if I can find a latest detailed report. Go for it. Yeah, on
2: uh, my fantasy team and that's what it says is expected back one of the next
1: Yep. That's also what I'm reading from a Packers report too. So
0: yeah, I'm good with the single. Awesome. So with two triples and two singles, that concludes our write that down prediction segment, which means that we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 103 of the 83. We really hope you check back in next week with us on episode 104. In the meantime, check out our Instagram at 8311cast on the Insta. And of course, drop us a line on our contact page at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersch. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.